Hello and welcome to episode 164 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. And thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to talk to writers about their writing process, find out how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. And uh, we've got a great back catalogue of guests. Just last week we were speaking with the brilliant Nick Harkaway. Uh, and this week we have a screenwriter turned novelist. Yeah, but this week we're chatting with Cole Haddon who, uh, as Marco said, started off as a, as a journalist. No, it's not what you said. You said a screenwriter. <laughs> did, yeah, he I did start, start off as a journalist. As a journalist. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, uh, and then he moved to LA to pursue his dream of being a scriptwriter, which is, I think, at that time anyway, you had to kind of be in that neck of the woods to kind of get your foot in the door. Um, and and he had some success. He, had a, he, he got a bunch of stuff uh, commissioned. Uh, Dracula for NBC and Sky was his big kind of debut show that you sold and as you'll hear it's a bit of a nightmare of a was it quite the dream show he was hoping it would be I don't think. Yeah I think it is a cautionary tale for those that want to work in Hollywood really yeah. um, and he he's obviously he, he writes a brilliant um, sort of blog or, or substack about yeah. his experiences on Dracula but also just generally about writing about working in the industry and stuff so it's definitely worth checking that out we'll put a link in the podcast description to that but um yeah really interesting speaking to him talking to him about why he moved to write this novel in particular which is a very ambitious novel sam's for the end of the world um and and you know the differences between the two processes and the differences in the editing process as well which is very very different i think you know getting editor's notes compared to what he was dealing with on shows like dracula and things like that Yep. Um, so we'll get straight into it after a quick advert for our writer's notebook and then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat. For now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously. Get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there, searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy, and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, 
Whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story, we truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, When I was a teenager, I think that manifested initially uh, uh, as storytelling. Uh, and it, it's still it's still how I primarily describe myself as a storyteller. The, the way I do that uh, can change. Uh, as a teenager, I wanted to be an illustrator of graphic novels. Uh, and I spend six, seven years very committed to that before I realized it would always take me four months to do what other writers took a month <laughs> to do. Uh, and so uh, from there, it, it just became very evident that film and uh, and fiction were going to be my home. Uh, but it's, I, I don't have memories of myself thinking about anything other than telling stories. And, and you you went into the path which i think a lot of writers do which is uh became a journalist after university um which allows you to do the writing i suppose in some form um were you were you also writing fiction at that point as well uh so the becoming a journalist was just a way to pay uh my bills uh, as you suggested but it uh it was also a way to get to Los Angeles. Uh, and so I, I I went to uni and uh, did the whole creative writing degree uh, and was writing short stories, had some success, but it just, it was taking forever and it was uh, quite a torturous process. Uh, so I manufactured a, a resume CV that said I was a successful <laughs> film and music journalist uh, and nobody ever questioned me. I, it also came with a new surname, uh, Haddon is, is not my birth name, uh, and nobody ever thought to ask whether anything on it was true. Uh, and within three months, I was making enough money to to move to L.A. And uh, yeah, my, my first interview in L.A. was sitting down with uh, Tarantino. It was oh, wow. nobody ever said, but who are you? It just... <laughs> worked out uh and so that yeah that but that that experience was amazing because i was making five cents to 25 cents us uh a word and and so i had to transcribe interviews sometimes writing 25 hours at a time just to make that money uh mm -hmm. and so it, it it broke me of any sense of of writer's block that was a luxury uh as far as i was concerned uh, and it uh, it really taught me how to listen to people and how they speak uh, and how that changes uh, even between uh, you know very short distances really. Mm -hmm. And 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 obviously you were moving to LA was a big important step for you because you wanted to get into the world of writing for for film. Is that is that right? Yes, yes. I, well, I I grew up in Detroit. I'm half Australian and half uh, American, uh, but grew up in Detroit, which its its artistic heyday had largely passed outside of very specific um, aspects of the music industry, which basically meant people like Kid Rock uh, at the time. So nothing I, I wanted anything to do with. Uh, <laughs> L.A., was a more manageable urban environment, someplace that might give me some, uh, I guess, excitement. 
uh, in life, and it had the uh, the film and television industry, which is what I think I was working out at that point was probably the majority of I guess I guess my my creative hearts. It's it's what at that time at least I wanted most. And and how difficult was it then? So so you move out there with the with the fake resume, you you, you get the job <laughs> as the as the journalist. But how difficult was it then to sort of get your foot in the door in terms of actually screenwriting and things like that? Yeah, well, uh, getting the foot in the door is unbelievably hard. So I slept my way into the business. Uh, my my now wife uh, was a producer. Uh, and so uh, it, it works both ways. Uh, so, uh, no, and she, she took me to a party uh, at, at a house for what is now my, uh, th- that was owned by, uh, who is now my sister-in-law. Uh, and her manager uh, was a uh, very successful, I guess, lit manager. And he suggested reading me and that that set everything in motion. It was a much different time in Los Angeles. People could actually get repped. Now it's e- even people with reps are often, uh, they find it difficult to to keep them or have them do anything uh, for them. The industry's changed uh, substantially. I, I've 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 literally never been able to get somebody wrapped in my life. Friends who I think are brilliant, uh, nobody will read them anymore. So I think I entered the business at at a very key time, mm-hmm. or I guess the 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 last gasp of a functional Hollywood before the, uh, the the tech bros and streamers and whatnot took over. And I mean, what sort of stuff when you were you writing when you when you were out here, you know, because I know, was it Warner Brothers commissioned your first script? But what was you, what kind of, you know, how many attempts did it take for you to get that script out there? And what kind of genres were you, were you trying anything just trying to get noticed? Or were you focused on one type of script? Uh, so when I, 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 I have n- no specific type of projects that I, I work on. I don't have uh, a genre I, I prefer. I don't care whether it's drama or or comedy. I mostly just have stories I want to tell, and I look for a vehicle for that. Uh, but breaking into the business was much different. I had written many scripts, none of which were the ones that I used to ultimately get repped. They were to, I guess, develop my voice. Uh, I wrote a spec script, a speculative script um, adapting uh, King Solomon's Mines, uh, and that was the the script that got me my rep. But I was, uh, I mean, it got me a lot of attention too. But I was told, oh, the uh, the industry uh, doesn't really like period action adventure, uh, and despite that, I went out uh, and pitched uh, another period idea. Um, after I had my representation, my reps told me, don't pitch that. That will never sell. It's a waste of time. Uh, they don't want the, these kinds of things. Uh, but the amazing thing about that period of time that you don't realize when you're in it, but uh, shortly afterward, it, it became apparent. I was at a zeitgeist moment because Sherlock Holmes had just come out and was a huge hit. Uh, and Pirates, the sequel, had just crossed a billion dollars, which was unheard of in Hollywood. So suddenly, period action venture looked exciting. So my uh, my my first sale was uh, uh, a reimagining of of uh, Arabian Nights, The Thieves of Baghdad, uh, and then the next project was uh, a sequel to Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and 
the next project after that uh, was uh, a sequel to Oliver and Twist with them all grown up. So there was this moment in time where everybody wanted period action venture. I think most people in Hollywood didn't really care about it in terms of screenwriters. That wasn't their background. And I did. It was just my childhood. So I was just by dumb luck <laughs> positioned to sell a lot of these uh, loosely IP driven properties that eventually uh, slowly uh, eradicated my will to write and <laughs> my, <laughs> my, my passion for screenwriting. <laughs> I mean, uh, I suppose was was what led on to Dracula in the same vein? Was it because you were writing these period pieces that, that uh, Dracula became a thing? Yeah, no, that's that's exactly what happened. I my second script uh, was called Hyde, the the Doctor Jekyll Mister Hyde sequel. It got me on the blacklist, which is sort of a, a sexy list of uh, uh, best unproduced screenplays every year according to producers. Uh, and it it got me a, a meeting. Uh, I didn't understand at the time, but they they specifically had something they wanted to pitch to me, and that that was. Uh, at least the idea of Dracula or the arena. Um, and uh, and then that that just sort of took off from there. And it's, I mean, you've written a number of really interesting articles about your time on that show. And I suppose it's safe to say that it wasn't an, a very nice experience in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, and is it, would you like to like elaborate a little bit on, on what your experience was like on that show? It's 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 certainly an incredibly long story, so uh, it's <laughs> almost the length of, of your podcast, so I won't go into all of the details, uh, but it, it was easily the worst creative experience uh, of my life. I was at odds with one of uh, the producers from the start, uh, their nonstop conflict. Uh, I, I asked to quit my show several times and wasn't allowed to by NBC, by elements at NBC who were, uh, I, I still don't understand why, but they were quite loyal to me and the idea of me and, and what I brought to the project and didn't want to see me ruin my career. But the consequence of them protecting me, I guess, from my my own uh, stupidity uh, of running from, from a, a, a lucrative job. Uh, was that uh, it, it It broke me quite seriously, uh, emotionally. I, I, I spent a lot of the uh, the development and writer's room just laying in my, my bedroom, staring at the ceiling in the dark, uh, praying for it to be over soon. Uh, so it, uh, yeah, just, uh, I mean, there are many aspects of it that I, I loved, specifically the writer's room. I, I acquired some of the, the best friends of my life uh, in the experience. Uh, but but there were there there were human beings involved that uh, did not uh, yeah did, were 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 deeply unpleasant to work with. And, and is that is that what drove you back to novel writing? Essentially, that you don't have to deal with people like that always sticking that more in. That right. was a slower burn because I I, I did. Hope to follow up Dracula with uh, with another TV series. And Hollywood is a brutal place where you can develop. I've sold a lot of shows and and films in LA, uh, and that those things die. I think I don't know what the statistic is today, but when I arrived in Hollywood, it was roughly five percent of development ever actually got produced. And mm -hmm. so 
uh, it was a spectacular miracle that my fourth project uh, was greenlit to series that mm-hmm. that that's a st- statistical anomaly uh and and so i i i sought to uh, follow it up with some series that were more personal to me that uh, that I, I cared about more and I, and all sorts of strange things from uh, studios shuddering to being bought uh, in the middle of me working, uh, you know, periodically kneecapped those adventures. Uh, and then the, the novel write, writing uh, grew out of the fact that after the 2016 election, uh, my family fled America. We we sold our house and just uh, moved to the UK. Uh, and I lasted about six months, seven months uh, watching Brexit sort of eat the country, uh, uh, you know, divide the country, uh, while simultaneously Trump was burning down America. My mother had just died and my father uh found out that uh, uh, he had um, uh, pulmonary fibrosis and if he didn't get a double lung transplant, he would die. And so there was just, that. Hey, well, he ultimately died. Thank you. Uh, but he he made it through that, that stretch, which at least was a relief. We had more time with him. But in the middle of that, uh, I had uh, uh, my second son. Uh, and so that, I think, broke something open in me. I was just a little bit lost and I needed a way to... Um, I guess, explore that or expunge some of it for myself. And I had been thinking about this book for about 20 years. Uh, And so nine days after my second son was born at 3 a.m. in the morning with him still strapped to me, I started writing uh, just to see if I could still do it. It had been a while since I wrote prose uh, and Hollywood or screen screenwriting will break you of things like sentences. Uh, (laughs) It's just there. Screenplays don't want uh, lovely sentences or anything like that. Uh, I I always it it describes screenwriting the way that you have to write prose in a script is a is akin to Ernest Hemingway after a head injury or a a week (laughs) of hard drinking. It's just you know it's just it's it's staccato nonsense. Um, And and so I I started writing. I couldn't stop and uh, and didn't stop for six months. In fact. So the book that you wrote was uh, Sam's for the End of the World. Was that the one mm. that you that you started writing? Do you want yes. to tell tell us a bit about that? Yeah, no, I I, I certainly can. Uh, so you know, at at its heart, uh, I guess I, I call it a love story uh, and a mystery about connections made and lost. Uh, in it begins in 1962 in Pasadena, California, with uh, Gracie Polanski, a quantum physics student uh, by day. Uh, one of only two women in Caltech's physics program uh, at the time. And by night, she's a diner waitress secretly in love with Robert Jones, uh, a regular who uh, has Cary Grant's, you know, chin, uh, comes by every night uh, for pie and to hear about her day. Uh, But on the night that we meet him, he seems distracted. His mind is fixated, uh, as we know, on the suitcase uh, in the boot of his car, a suitcase full of mysterious and ominous purpose, that he hopes uh, will set right uh, some mysterious, terrible thing he thinks that he's done to Gracie uh, and others. Uh, so uh, at the end of this this meeting between them, he tells Gracie he's leaving town for an indefinite period, and he hopes to see her again, uh, crushing her with those very specific words. Uh, will she ever see him again? But the next night, uh, he returns, uh, except this time he doesn't remember who she is. 
And then the FBI burst in with their guns waving, accusing him of blowing up Pasadena City Hall and killing the 23 people inside it. Uh, Jones doesn't remember doing any of this either. Uh, and so in short order, uh, the Gracie ends up on the run uh, with Jones, a man who may or may not be a terrorist, a mass murdering terrorist. Uh, and as the two of them make their way across the American Southwest and eventually much further um, uh, trying to work out whether Jones really is this bomber uh, and falling in love uh, all over again. Uh, their story begins to interweave with numerous other stories taking place uh, across time. Uh, and some of the characters that that we meet uh, include an identity-shifting rock star who knows a, a terrible secret, uh, an artist in post-revolutionary France whose paintings seem to drive people insane, uh, there's an astronaut lost in space, a married pair of Nazi hunters uh, slowly breaking up as they they murder Nazis across the world, uh, a samurai trying to keep his son safe from a one-armed assassin, two screenwriters in Hollywood whose passion project uh, might be reshaping uh, reality in some way, uh, and, and many more. Uh, ultimately, uh, Gracie and Joan's story will reveal how we are all interconnected across space and time uh, by love, grief, uh, and something like quantum entanglement. So it's a, it's a small book, as I like to <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say that when we normally ask authors to pitch their books, it's it's a sort of stuttering, oh, it's about this sort of thing. But I suspect that your time in Hollywood has, has helped you manage you know you get a meeting you have to pitch it in in clear detail to someone i i've become very accustomed to pitching it but also this book is very sprawling and complicated and it took a lot of work to work out how to describe it without rambling for five minutes that was the <laughs> i knew that was the danger that if you asked me that i just go on for five minutes and at the end of it you'd ha still have no idea what the hell i was talking about. <laughs> i mean i'm 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 currently reading it and it is it's fantastic and uh the opening oh, thank you the opening scene in the diner stuff is a really grabbing open really grabby opening is it's great and and i kind of wondered you know where does what's your process where did you get your idea from you know what was it fully formed did you research stuff do you read articles and pulpits together what's your process mm. well this book uh in particular involved a lot of research uh that often just evolved out of things i was passionate about uh it it was a book in many ways, I think, that wrote itself uh, the way that it, it came together. I knew the central storyline of, of Gracie and Jones from the start. It was an idea that I pitched as a film eight or nine years ago. Uh, and it was a much smaller idea uh, at that point. Uh, but around it, I had collected just books and books, you know, notebooks of uh notes about paintings I had seen that had evoked certain feelings, uh, bits of history that I had picked up uh, from travels. I, I love to travel. I, I read a ridiculous amount of philosophy. Uh, and a, a lot of the book is having a conversation with pop culture, which is just something I'm passionate about uh, in a sort of academic way. Uh, so I, I just, I, I, I was my own Wikipedia uh, at that point in terms of the these elements I wanted uh, to weave in, uh, at least regard with regard to the uh, regards to the uh, the research aspect of it. So that that was the starting point. And and when you when you wrote this uh, as a novel, did you have a literary agent, or did you 
find one after after you'd written it? I found one afterward. I wrote it from a place of passion. Uh, I actually was largely convinced nobody would want to read it uh, when I started it. It just was something I needed to do. Uh, I finished about 80 pages and an author friend of mine uh, discouraged me from thinking that it was just sort of uh, straightforward science fiction. Uh, and and at that point, I, I, I think I began to amass more and more confidence about what was happening as I, I worked, uh, mostly because the book, again, seemed to be writing itself. It felt like it it almost uh, existed uh, outside of me. And I was just kind of trying to, to rein in something that was uh, outside of my control. Uh, so by the time it was done, uh, I shared it with a few people, received some incredibly positive feedback. Uh, Nicholas Meyer, who, who did a blurb for the book, uh, wrote and directed Star Trek II and numerous other films, uh, was, was very encouraging. Uh, and so at that point, I shared it with my uh, my film TV agents in the UK, uh, they both read it incredibly quickly, despite the fact that it was 600 pages in Word, uh, and uh, and fell in love with it. Uh, again, surprising, <laughs> mostly because I just didn't really think this would lead anywhere. Uh, and, uh, and, and they found me an agent uh, uh, within a few months that I hit it off with that, that gave me notes that were so precise, they were actionable without being intimidating, but also transformative mm -hmm. uh, to the book. Uh, and I think it's it's chances in the market. In terms of those notes, I mean, is that a very different process to what you get in Hollywood, where, from what we understand from speaking with other people as well, you get, um, you know, notes from 20 different people saying contradictory things, essentially. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm very accustomed to that. Uh, this is this is very different because I, I find that Hollywood notes are largely prescriptive, whether they say that or not. You'll, you'll hear things like, oh, this is the bad note or this is here. Let me pitch you this bad idea. But what that <laughs> generally means is, why don't you do what I'm telling you? And we'll all be happier if you just stop disagreeing about it. And not that it often doesn't lead to something interesting. Uh, but when you have three different people often giving different notes about what you have to do to make them happy and suddenly you have a scene that was half a page that's now four pages long and and everything that was good about it is out the window, you realize it's a, it's a generally lousy system. Uh, the The notes for the novel were much more similar to what I experienced working in the UK TV industry, uh, which they're... They were precise, but they were more interrogative. They they were about asking me, they asked me questions to, to illustrate a concern that he didn't know the answer to. He just wanted me to understand his concern and allowed me to find the solution mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the day. And so that it's a it's a, a, a huge difference to just trust that your the artist that you're working with, the writer that you're working with is going to find an, a solution that's true to them and, and probably more interesting than whatever you know, sort of lazy macro notes that would make it a more commercial book or, mm -hmm. or tick this box for readers. Uh, yeah. It just, it produced a much better outcome, at least in whether or not anybody else actually loves the book it made me love the book more. And, and for, for me, that's what mattered. I mean, it, it certainly sounds like after your experience, 
with within the film industry and stuff and then with the whole Trump and Brexit etc that writing this was almost like a kind of therapy it sounds like it was a, a real it, it wasn't a, 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 a I want to write a book and sell a book to, to make money it was that I need to write this to for myself I, I actually don't know how to write long form fiction uh, that that isn't therapy in some way in this regard I mean the, the title of the book sounds for the end of the world it it really was was about writing it was about this anxiety about the world and and this sense that I, I feel most people have that this can't actually go on this is all going to the party's over soon right uh, <laughs> uh and oh shit I have kids what the hell uh uh, what does that mean for them? Uh, how, how can any of this remotely be solved uh, while there there seems to be, uh, and I know it's social media magnifying a lot of it, but whatever hope we had that, that barbarism uh, had been replaced by any aspiration for decency seems to have, have completely gone out the window. And so this was that it was just some way to remind myself that there was something to hope for in the world that there was still beauty left to to care about and and does your process because obviously writing a book takes a lot longer than a screenplay or the, or at least a, a draft of the screenplay normally mm. and does your process in actually writing your mechanical process in terms of day-to-day writing change at all when you're when you're writing long-form fiction as opposed to a screenplay oh, that's a good question i i find that in general i can't write a single thing for more than four to six hours a day so i always need another project to complement it in some way and and uh, i guess creatively stimulate me uh in the the case of psalms my wife had just given birth so the first five six months i was writing it from three to seven in the morning and then i'd get a couple hours later in the day after i i woke up from another nap uh, and that was written alongside a, i was writing a, a film for park sham wook at that time so it was just feeding back and forth uh, but but my my process is uh is it's not fancy i just i write i i these days i wake up and i start writing usually from five to seven yeah i write from five to seven then i write from nine to five with a couple breaks for some walks and uh and whatnot Uh, but i just write and don't really think about uh what i do in that time and i I just trust it's all going to work out in the end and you you said earlier on that that sort of early process as a as a journalist kind of taught you, I suppose, the discipline of just mm. writing and just getting it done. Because I think, you know, certainly for writers starting out, whether it's screenplays, whether it's uh, novels or whatever, there can be a tendency to, you know, wait for the right moment or overthink parts and take days off while you try and work work your way through a a difficult point and things like that but the, the the actual habit of writing is quite an important thing i think i think th- there's no judgment that comes from me when it when it comes to how people choose to write some people need to create that uh, a, a very specific dynamic that that 
it's, it's different for everybody. Some people need to comport to some sense of these classic writers. And I write from 10 until two in the morning. That's, that's when my magic happens, or I only write from four until seven and everything else in the day is terrible. I, I, it, I, I just know that it's, like, oh, you know, that if that's what works for you. Uh, and for me, it's, it's ritual. I don't, I get nervous if I'm not writing, I go on, on holiday. Uh, I still have to write two hours in the morning. And if, if I'm in France in a museum, I'm, I'm writing things down these days, often just talking into Siri. <laughs> so she reminds <laughs> me later about whatever interesting thing uh, I just learned. And I'm, I, I snap photos of every single thing that I read on walls and, uh, and, and when I'm out so I can look things up later as, as some sort of lazy note taking. Uh, and so that writing doesn't, for me, doesn't mean I'm, I'm literally typing for eight hours. Writing is often thinking. It's just being at peace with staring at an empty screen and knowing it's okay. It'll work out eventually because it, it always seems to, I, that's the thing with screenplays. You're, you're contracted to turn things in in a certain time. And I've just worked out that if I have to write a 120 page screenplay and I, sit down every day to write four pages, I'm going to be done two, three weeks early. Uh, it just, it's, and if I can't write four pages a day, I probably shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And, uh, and I just, yeah, it, 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 I, I would have to quit at that point. And I mean, you, you kind of mentioned it just there, but it sounds like you've, you, although you've obviously really enjoyed writing this book, you've not given up your screenwriting work as well and you've you've written Park Chan Wook uh, Genocide of mm -hmm. Oregon I think is the film that you were working on with him and you're doing a rock musical with Dave Stewart I mean it sounds like you've still got these exciting passion kind of projects on the go in the script world as well I, I do and some th those are, are projects that I think are a little bit further along where where producers are off trying to now make them happen uh, that that's always the the painful part will will you have a film out of it or do you just have a, a paycheck or direct deposit which is now uh, except for in the states i keep getting checks there i don't understand why <laughs> it's really problematic i live in australia and i have to have family members deposit checks and it, it's just such a pain in the ass like they send me photos of checks that then i have to deposit on my computer screen <laughs> taking photos to, it's it's such nonsense it's such a backwards place uh <laughs> uh but uh but yeah no no i've 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 recently sold a couple more projects in uh the uk uh a, a television and uh television pilot at least in a film and i'm writing on the second series of a um uh a show called tropo uh over here in australia starring uh, my friend tom jane uh so it's you know, some of them are are the passion projects that that you fight for uh some just because they excite you I, I i enjoyed this series tropo but i hadn't been able to work on a crime series before i was actually in the speaking with the the head writer yesterday uh because i was i was brought on after the the room started uh and and it was strange because we're discussing a scene that is so cliche at this point you see it in every sort of crime series uh, and I won't describe it specifically, but it it uh, it's something that everybody I feel like has written. But it's not only the type of thing that you do after the first episode. 
So the first episode, you would rarely see the scene. And because I've I've primarily written pilots in the crime <laughs> space, I had never been able to do this incredibly mundane thing before. Uh, and it was startling how 15 years into writing, uh, I, I reached a, a 110-year-old cinematic trope and thought, well, I, I, this is new. What, <laughs> what the hell is this thing? Like, I, I have no idea how to make uh, make such a a boring scene interesting. Uh, and, and it was it was a challenge simply because I was writing in the middle of an, a season instead of uh, a pilot. That's a long winded and weird sort of little detail. But but there's a huge difference between writing pilots and writing those first episodes to launch a series and what happens in the middle of a of a series it sounds as well like when we have authors on whether they're crime writers or fantasy writers or whatever they often tend to write in the same genre they tend to you know whether by choice or not sometimes it's a sort of publisher saying no you need your next book needs to be another crime book or whatever um Mm. Whereas being a screenwriter, while there's this, you know, whilst the churn of like writing stuff that isn't getting produced and stuff, Mm. you seem to be able to write across a much more diverse range of areas. I'm fortunate because in Hollywood, they like to put you in boxes. And that's part of what what broke me. The fact that I had I went 11, 12 projects that were just rebooting my childhood one after another. And it's not that I didn't care about them. I invested in them, but it it wasn't the same as is projects I pursued uh, after that. But when I left Los Angeles, I was still working there. But but then I moved to the UK and suddenly there was this new pool that I was swimming around in that I got to uh to to write in and with that came Europe I I started working in Italy and that that was a, a different flavor uh of narrative and what what you could and couldn't do what they were excited about and now I'm in Australia and I'm still working in all of these places so what I found is whatever I want to do there's somebody somewhere Mm-hmm. who will let me tell that story. Mm-hmm. So if it's not commercial enough for the States, that's okay. The UK loves small character-driven uh, projects that that aren't wrapped up in, in some high concept. They just want, you know, interesting character moments. Oh, great, there's there's an outlet there. Or uh, you, know, you, you want something that feels very operatic. Uh, Italy's right there. You know, it's it, it, it might be interested in that that sort of, heightened uh but but very stylized madness so th- i think that's i think a lot of writers would be broader in there they or screenwriters would would do more but a lot of times you're you're working within a environment that tells you that you can't if you want to keep selling and i think that fiction ends up being the same thing you uh uh it's a slower process to evolve away from wherever you are uh, I've I've written a second book, uh, which I wish I could talk about, but I you know I, I can't. It's but it's it's existentially similar. Uh, and it, there are certain aspects that are similar, but it's also pivoted just that sort of fifteen percent. So maybe by the fourth book, I could be doing something that is straight drama versus something that has more speculative aspect or mm-hmm. some sort of heightened you know genre aspect in there and it's not that i don't love those genre aspects but if i just turned around uh uh you know a straight literary fiction book uh, as my second book it, 
it would be like I was going out into the market for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, but I would have lost that luster of being a, a, a debut novelist. Uh, so I, I would have handicapped myself in every possible yeah. way. So it's just, do you want to spend eight years evolving <laughs> into a, a a new type of book? I'm patient. It's, it doesn't have to be my primary uh, income as it as it has to be for others. Yeah. So 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 what's next then? You've you've mentioned a few scripts that you've written, which are kind of in the in the producing pipeline. You've got a second book which you've finished writing. Have you have you got more books, more scripts you're working on that you can talk about? Uh, well, I'm. I guess you would call it polishing at this point, the second novel. And I have an idea. Uh, I, I've been outlining the third uh, and uh, and each of those, their evolutions sort of shifts uh, uh, away from I mean, Psalms is it's uncategorizable. It doesn't it's it's so broad. There's chapters that are romantic comedies for all intents and purposes and and others that are in. Uh, as intensely violent as as Inglorious Bastards or any other Tarantino film. So it's a lot of things. These others, I think I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more focused uh, and, and perhaps not write such large books, mostly because I do like getting to the ending and finding out how, how something ends. (laughs) Uh, And then uh, on the, the feature television side, I've just, working on on these projects and trying to find things that that are interesting uh a lot of you know, the market is unstable at the moment we have a, the writers guild strike is happening in the states and that's likely going to go on for for still several uh months and so it's a it's a strange market uh to to navigate at the moment uh so yeah i write some fiction write some television when when people let me and uh and and write some strange essays you know, personal essays and write about film and tv and and other art uh on substack that that seems to be my five to seven a.m uh <laughs> output at the at the at the moment with with screenplays uh, one thing i wanted to ask was obviously once you are known as a screenwriter you will get commissioned to do certain to work on certain projects and things like that but so does the idea of writing something completely speculative in terms of like you've not been commissioned for it and you want to pitch it to people, does that sort of fall away and it becomes all about the commissions that you're getting or are you still pitching ideas to people? Uh, well, commissions for me generally come from pitching ideas. The speculative right. work, I, I've i written in the last five years a few and, the, and they tend to be much more passion projects uh, and uh, I think the last couple, they, they, it, it's a strange thing. My experience is that specs, for the most part, get me work elsewhere. Right. Uh, and I've sold three or four, but but they tend to define me in people's minds in some way they haven't thought about me before or introduce me to entirely new people. You know, oh, look, he, he writes small period character dramas uh, set in the middle of World War II with two locations. I didn't know that about him. Uh, That's interesting. Uh, And so there, I I, I think my problem with specs is that I view them like I do novels. I write them for myself Mm -hmm. and then that gets me work elsewhere. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just, they're two, I, I, I think I write really ambitious 
uh scripts that that in the in that space that i probably if i were a wiser writer would uh <laughs> would do something maybe a little bit more commercial rather than <laughs> than uh intriguing and i suppose with screenplays as well you have to uh, or or to heighten the chance of them being made i suppose there 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 are things that you have to think about like budget and things like that you know how much will it cost to have 20 helicopters in this scene as opposed to in a book you can throw in as many as you want kind of a thing no absolutely i i think i i probably have six or seven times as many locations as the the biggest james bond film ever made yeah. uh, in the novel and i have that freedom and i can jump forward and backward in time and uh in hollywood you you can literally do a um a parlor drama set in 1820 with three bedrooms and still hear how well it's period. You don't, you don't understand how expensive that is. That's a $40 million movie. And you say, but the Brits just do it for 6 million. Uh, <laughs> why, why would it cost that much? And you realize in their minds, they're thinking, Oh, Tom Hanks is going to be one of the characters. So you know, <laughs> you, you have to work in that, that budget to justify making this film. Uh, so it's uh, you, 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 um, you're handicapped, I guess, by that uh, a bit. But my problem, as I said, is is I when I write a spec, I think that that spec because people know it's just mine. It's it's sort of, it's a statement that this is me, and that isn't necessarily commercial. And and as I said, a wiser writer who is interested in just selling uh and i'm not that i'm not interested in selling things but i feel like i've never quite acquired that 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 sell, that sense of self-preservation that would let me just write something <laughs> yeah a, a little more obvious a cool head in marvel movie is unlikely then perhaps i not no to, to be i would enjoy that immensely but i feel like the process would also break me and <laughs> and so it's because i i don't know how, what how you do something truly interesting in that space with that many cooks in the kitchen uh maybe, maybe it works i i don't know but the way i work i feel like i would just end up pissing everybody off <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you see these kind of like marvels a kind of big massive machine and Mm. Especially as time's gone on, it's they've gotten quite same, you know, very similar types of feeling in every movie and stuff. And then you kind of every so often you get something like a Wonder Vision or something, which is really different. And and you think, how did that manage to get through the churn and 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 go kind of crazy and and get the sign off from the upstairs rather than getting it hammered down to make it like everything else? What's what's fascinating about Marvel, at least how I break it down, is that the, their television series are all now wildly ambitious, like mm -hmm. the movies used to be. And the movies are increasingly homogenous because mm -hmm. you're you're you can't take those risks with the budgets and the IP and what you know what's at stake. And so it's uh, it it seems for me, I I still go to them go to every one of them. I I, I enjoy them. Uh, but they seem safer, you know, yeah. whereas Iron Man felt daring, you know, I, I'm not a great fan of Iron Man three, but Iron Man three had a lot of opinions. You yeah, know, there you were... can imagine Iron Man three being made now. It feels very different than the rest of the. Yes. Of yes. Movie. And they still sometimes, I mean, they, they let Taika do some amazing stuff and, and James Gunn's now left. Uh, so, Hopefully somebody else steps in and it's it's not that these don't have personality, but eventually 
there, there just seems to be an element of safety that mm-hmm. that uh, the TV series don't have, where they're literally blowing up form every single. And yeah, some of them are more conventional, like like uh, uh, Captain America and Winter uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, but uh, you know, most of them are still just doing something really, really groundbreaking, and which it, I enjoy. It, it's interesting, though, that the, the, the sorry, this has turned into a Marvel chat, but um, it, it, right. it, it's interesting that the that as these films become safer and more homogenous, as you say, that they're actually losing, you know, they're not making these the huge amounts of money that they were previously when they did take more risks with the films. Mm. So, so, you know, and the series are getting more praise and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, there is this balance that they don't seem to quite strike. And I get it with the terms of the budget of the movies is obviously much higher and things like that. But sometimes taking those risks can pay off, I think. I, I feel like much of this is still beyond my pay grade, as I, I sometimes describe it. How do you make the decisions about films this large if they're all breaking in the mold? I mean, the, uh, well, the, the, the Eternals, I think, did that. It tried something very yeah, ambitious yeah. and people, a lot of people didn't like it. <laughs> so I'm glad it existed because it felt... Uh, so distinct uh, from everything else, but yeah. people don't show up. And what do you, what do you do about that? So I don't know how they make those those decisions, but also that as the films progress, they don't. There, there are so many of them. They inherently the story doesn't feel as focused. I think it's it's not as easy for the audience to understand what they're showing up for with each film. Yeah. Uh, what what am I investing in in some way? What it's sort of like you read a good novel and there's a chapter, maybe a couple chapters. You're like, yeah, what? I mean, this isn't that great, but you know, it's going to get back to something really exciting. I don't care about this character, uh, and and you you could feel that way about um, mm-hmm. Marvel for a while, and and that's becoming a little bit blurred because uh, as as they all as many of them can feel that that i guess flattened in some way yeah. uh, you you find yourself waiting for the next one yeah. more often yeah, because I it's just it's a statistical game you can't make that many and have and, and pull off yeah. the same statistics before where you go oh thor 2 that was you know oh. and, and, and 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 to to be fair to thor too it was also redeemed in endgame uh which somehow <laughs> retroactively made me uh made me love that film uh in, in some way that i didn't, didn't before but you could you could have a favorite and you could have one that utterly disappointed you and you just didn't care and it's yeah. it's it's more problematic when it's one in 3 that are making you want to come back twice and the other two you're like ah, yeah you know watch that plus yeah it definitely yeah. feels like the kind of the 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 march to to end game was a real focused every mm. ch- chapter was building the narrative up and you're and you had this moment where they were they're all going to be in it they're all going to be together and it was mm. exciting and i think ever since then it's difficult to capture that kind of zeitgeist moment and it's it does feel a bit floundery i think the last phase i i think some of this is inherent in the the loss of the infinity stones in the series because you had a a, a detail you had something that glued every single one of the films together 
And that's a little nebulous at the moment. And maybe by the time they do pull it off, we'll go back and look at all those earlier films and say, oh, that's how it all all worked. Uh, but but that it, it's, it is, I think, lacking a bit of the excitement at the moment that the TV series have in yeah. space. Yeah. Every time there's a new TV series... Uh, I think, oh, my God, wait, Hawkeye? Really? Oh, <laughs> you did a Hawkeye Christmas series I get to watch every year? I did, I did not see that coming. Now I uh, I, I want Hawkeye as my, my, my Christmas comedy every year. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was the last book that you read? Um, I, I've been, my problem is I'm reading three simultaneously right now, and this is dragged out, uh, for, uh, uh, three months. So I think the last one that I closed, uh, was I reread how high we go in the dark, uh, and also scary monsters, which is probably less of an internationally known book, uh, but is by Michelle de Kretzmer. It's, uh, she's, a an Australian writer, uh, author, and, and it's quite a brilliant, very ambitious uh, book in terms of, of its form. But in How High We Go in the Dark, if you haven't read it, is uh, by Sequoia Nagamatsu, and it's it's just phenomenal. I read it twice uh, over the course of 13, 14 months because it, it was just such a, a sort of spectacular trip through grief, and uh, uh, it's a... It's a an, accidental allegory for covid uh which is which is also wonderful nice um what about the last film that you watched uh oh these these it's it's i have to go through recall now um what uh this was too oh it the last one was actually ant-man and wasp quantumania <laughs> uh, speaking of, of of marvel films but then uh, probably uh something i was i i i had a lot of fun i right before that i i watched uh fifth or sixth time uh an american in paris with gene kelly which uh uh which is one of my favorite uh, uh minnelli musicals of of his excellent nice. and uh, what about the tv show that you last watched or are watching yeah, uh, well, we're, we're like almost everybody. I'm I'm uh, sort of working my way through the last episode or two of of Ted Lasso in succession. Uh, so that that's been uh, been uh, a, a lot of uh, fun, uh, and I'm in the middle of watching Barry uh, as well. Uh, its final season. Uh, I I find that uh, uh, I. I'm in a period over the last month or two where all of these series that have taken up a lot of my life are going away. Mm -hmm. um, Picard, which is actually that I think Picard is my favorite series of uh, Picard series three, that my favorite series of 2023. Um, uh, but, but all of these except maybe Picard went on too long. <laughs> I love yeah. them, but it's just like, like I'm, I'm just, I, I don't have time in my life. Yeah. to to watch seasons for four and five seasons uh, or or watch a com a sitcom that now is an hour and five minutes every episode uh and i love them i do uh but it's just it's exhausting trying to get through them all so i'm i'm, I'm both 
enjoying the the sort of last moments of these uh, and mourning them at the same time and incredibly grateful that I can go watch some new television now. <laughs> the uh, the jump in quality and from season one and two to three three of Picard was uh, was insane. I thought first two I thought yeah was it, and it, three was brilliant. It's uh, I I know too many behind the scenes stories, but my friend wrote on two and three, and and uh, Terry Metalis, who's the showrunner on three, came in late on two and and did his best, I think, to to save that, and then was allowed uh, to uh, to to do this with three, and it's it's phenomenal. I, I think it's the best trek that that's happened since uh, first contact, and yeah, uh, I agree with that, yeah. Yeah, it's just so so damn good. <laughs> well, the, the 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 very the very last that we do is a super quick fire either or, and uh, I always say there's no right answers here apart from perhaps one of them. But we'll start off with uh, screenwriting or novel writing. That is a question for the day. For, for, <laughs> for that changes by the day, but for the most part, I do think if I think novels, if I think I would be quite happy just being paid to sit and write novels for the rest of my life and, uh, and then go drink with my friends. That, uh, <laughs> that, that would be an incredibly low stress, but incredibly satisfying life. A uh, TV or cinema? Cinema every time. I mean, that's not even a debate. <laughs> <laughs> Night owl or early bird? Sorry, what was that? Night owl or early bird? Night owl. Um, music or no music when you're writing? Uh, that depends on the project. So that's, that's, that's a hard one, but generally no music. Uh, I also have to say, you said night owl, but you also get up at 5 a.m. Yeah, so, I mean, this is a young kid. Brutal, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I, I do, I do. Uh, I, but that's, it's, it's funny because I identify as that, but I know I'm not. And so <laughs> it's, maybe it's just the part of, of having children. I, you know, you, you constantly, I don't know if you have kids, but you mourn who you were and it, it's your identity is I'm supposed to watch movies until 12, one o'clock. And realistically, I'm now the person who go who who turns on episode nine of uh, Succession and goes hour and fifteen minutes. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> going to bed. <laughs> what was that extra fifteen twenty minutes for? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. I, did not I actually time had that. that I actually had that exact same thought last night when we watched episode nine. I was like, it's getting longer and longer these episodes. Yeah, no, it's it's again. I love Ted Lasso, but I I, I turn it on and I. I think oh, I'm going to watch a, a, a sitcom and I'll, we'll watch a couple episodes tonight. And then I realize I, I just watched a, a, a movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the very, very last one is real book or ebook. Oh, real book. I've, I mean, buy my ebook, but, <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I love pages and I, I, I want a library that I'm, not that you want all of these answers, but books are, they tell your story in some way. You know, you, I, I write in mine and, and, and dog ear them and, and highlight things that are beautiful. And so they throwing up his mouth just now. Sorry. Straighten me out that. No, I I like, (laughs) I I love books, but I I like to keep them as pristine, pristine as possible. Yes. 
but that's you also can have your own relationship with them but it's amazing i can open up a book i haven't read for 25 years and then find the receipt uh for where <laughs> yeah, i bought yeah, it from that's right. uh, in the book reminding me oh you were living in uh you know in, in ann arbor and you bought yeah. this from little drum I, and mm -hmm. suddenly i'm i'm back in 2002 and uh, i I value that. I, I'm, I'm sure there's some some element in the ebook that I could look in. Oh, when did you buy this? But it's just yeah, it's no, it's not the same. I agree. <laughs> also, when the world ends in a few years, I feel like the ebooks are going to be useless. But I'll still have my once, once the internet dies off, we'll be yeah, we burn the books for for heat, so we'll be <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just just a deteriorating situation. First the ebook goes. <laughs> <laughs> then my library becomes kindling. <laughs> well, a man after my Jean-Luc Hart, Picard season three. Uh, I would totally agree with that, Cool, It's of the best trek this side of First Contact, I think. Yeah, I've I've still to watch it. I'm too scarred by season one, which was pretty <laughs> well, bad, I mean, and I heard season two <laughs> yeah. was awful. If you were so. scarred by season one, season two will finish you off. It's yeah. dreadful. But season three was. I think yeah. I'll just give it. I'll skip season two. I suspect, I think. <laughs> As we've, we've we've said before, it's it's season three has that kind of, you know, pure uh, fan. What's the nostalgia word? Fan nostalgia, type. just like pure. It plays fan service as well. Looking for it plays right into that. And and early on, I was like, oh, "This is maybe a bit too much. This is maybe a bit kind of cringy. I don't know." And then I was like, "You're being stupid. Just embrace it." And as soon as you embrace it, it's just like, "I want more. Get fit in more references and more <laughs> music and more." It's just, it's yeah, it's fantastic. It's the perfect antidote for folk like me who have been a bit jaded with new Trek and uh, and just want to, to rewatch old Trek. It's the perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't want new things. <laughs> yeah, just, you're, you're everything that's wrong. I am. I have a huge problem. Repackage what was old. Just don't change it. The yeah, industry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but thanks very much to Cole for coming, coming on to the podcast. It was a really interesting chat and obviously really interesting hearing about the differences in working in Hollywood compared even to the UK film industry and then obviously working in novels as well. Um, and I'm glad that the experience from Dracula didn't break him <laughs> yeah. to the extent that he doesn't want to work in the industry anymore. He's obviously got the film with Park Chan Wook coming out, and he's still working on other stuff. Um, and you know, I can totally see working for network TV on a show that is that you've sort of been brought on to is going to be totally different to writing your own sort of script. Yes for a feature Absolutely. film or something like that. Although I'm sure that has its own share of issues as, as well. Um, but yeah, uh, Sam's for the End of the World is out now in paperback and we'll put a link to the podcast in the podcast description so you can pick that up. And uh, we won't be back next week. We're taking a short two-week break uh, just to recharge the batteries, give me a chance to edit things. Uh, we have got already a number of brilliant authors in the in the can as they say but we're just taking two weeks off but there will be an episode of page one extra in the meantime so you don't need to miss us too much if you enjoyed today's episode please do take the time to rate and review us on your favorite podcast app it really helps us grow the podcast and continue to get great guests on the podcast and if you want to get in touch you can always send us well, there's a number of ways now you can get in touch. Uh, uh, an email, which is uh, podcast at rightgear.co.uk or a tweet in the Twitter machine, which is at UK page one. You can find us on Mastodon, which is writing.exchange forward slash at page one pod 
or you can go into YouTube where we are at youtube.com forward slash at page one podcast. It's everything. Yeah, and you can leave a comment under the yes. video of whatever episode you want to discuss, which is great. So uh, otherwise, hope you have a great couple of weeks while we take our short break. But do tune in to our page one extra episode, uh, which I think you'll find interesting. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another brilliant guest. See you later. Thank you.